Assalamu alaikum. You're listening to exclusive content brought to you by Seekers Guidance. We are committed to make reliable Islamic knowledge accessible and free of charge. Help us in our mission by making a small donation at seekersguidance.org slash donate. Even $10 a month can go a long way. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa sallallahu wa sallam wa barak ala sayyidina wa nabina wa habibina wa qurrati ayunina Muhammad Habibi Rabbil Alameen wa ala alihi wa ashabihi wa atba'ihi ila yawmiddin Allahumma faqihna fiddin wa'allimna at-ta'wil wa'alhimna rushdana ya Rabbil Alameen Alhamdulillah In our daily sessions on Imam Al-Haddad's brilliant work called The Book of Assistance, we have reached the section on Hajj. So he's telling us about the obligatory acts of that are the devotional acts, devotional duties of the believer. And of these devotional duties, We've, we looked at the prayer and the importance of the congregational prayer and Usad Amjad shared both not just how one prays with excellence but many of the duties related to praying together in congregation. Um, not just the outward but also the inward dimension of excellence in it. Right? Because the path of drawing closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has two components. has the components of sound devotion and the second component is excellence in one's devotion or striving for excellence in one's devotion outwardly and inwardly with deepening one's sincerity in it. So he tells us, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, in the section on zakat, on the obligatory charity, he says that it is incumbent upon you if you have wealth for on which Zakat is due that you give the zakat with good spirit, right? Seeking there, thereby Allah alone, seeking the countenance of Allah, meaning Allah Himself. So it is obligatory on everyone to know when zakat becomes obligatory on them, right? So they say, does the poor person have to know the fiqh of zakat? And what's the answer? Yes or no? Does the poor person have to know the fiqh of zakat? No. But they need to have at least some brief indicators of that. When would zakat be due on me? And because you may creep up into the category of someone who owes zakat and you don't realize it. Because you say, well, I'm, I'm poor. Well, not your, you're not poor for life, right? So you need to know what is the zakatable minimum. And when is zakat due? If someone possesses the zakatable minimum of their assets, above and beyond their immediate expenses, and their, the debts that are already due. We have many answers on Seeker's Guidance, and even an on-demand course, explaining the practical fiqh of zakat and we have a zakat calculator on seekers guidance you go look for seekers guidance zakat calculator and that's a simple clear and reliable calculator 
Um, so if you have wealth for which you have to pay zakat, right, you have to give it with tib nafs with good spirit. Why? Because zakat is an act of faith, an act of submission, an act of drawing closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So what are the meanings underlying zakat? Firstly, it is an act of iman. Number two, why? Because you believe in the Lord who has commanded you to give your zakat. Number two, it's an act of submission. That you, we hear and we obey. Number three, you seek to draw close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through this act. Number four, you have gratitude. You give zakat expressing gratitude. Gratitude for the wealth and gratitude for all the means that facilitated that wealth and gratitude for all else that you have in life. Right? And there's other meanings. None of you believes until they wish for others of the good that they wish for themselves. You wish this good that you have for it to be with you. The sign that you are a person of, of faith who seeks the good is that you seek it for others. But that, that seeking has to be active. What is the active seeking of the material good for others? That you give something of what you have. Two and a half percent of that has been made incumbent upon us. None of you believes until they wish for others of the good of the of the good that they wish for themselves. So the zakat is the minimum expression of concern for the good of others. That's, but that's the minimum obligatory expression. There's other giving beyond that that is highly recommended or generally recommended. So you give it in good spirit, seeking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by it. It's an act of drawing close. And to hasten to give zakat, Hasten to pay your zakat. It is recommended to give it without delay. When it becomes due, you pay it without delay. Every person should know when their zakat becomes due upon them and to pay it without delay, which may require preparation in advance. That you have enough liquidity, this, that, you arrange things, so you're able to make the payment without delay. In some schools of Islamic law, any delay of paying zakat is sinful. Generally, and that's also the Hanafi position, it is recommended to hasten to pay one zakat as soon as it becomes due. It is not, uh, it is improper to delay it slightly. Delaying it is disliked and excessive delay is sinful. Excessive delay is that you delay your zakat a whole zakat year. The next year enters. So you hasten by separating the zakat amount so you're ready to give it. And to give it out when the time becomes due. So you prepare without delay. For if you do that, if you do that, if you give zakat, he says, with good spirit, seeking the pleasure of Allah, soundly, prepared, so you give it right away, then, then, he says, blessings will overflow upon you. And Numerous types of goodness will increase in your life and your wealth will become in a will be become well protected from all kinds of harm. Right? So zakat pre preserves 
your wealth. Zakat purifies your wealth. And zakat increases your wealth in its blessing. It increases your wealth in its blessing. And he says, you should separate your, your zakat, meaning once you know how much is due, you should separate it. And then to give it. It says, and do not do what some of the worldly people do. Right? Which is that they don't distinguish their zakatable wealth, the, the zakat that is due on their wealth, right? But rather what they do is whenever they find someone needy, they give them something, right? And then they think that they, they well, I must have done enough. That's not good enough, right? Um, and addressing, an ag- rather make sure, right? What is your zakatable wealth? Make define clearly how much is due and then make sure that amount that is due is fully paid off without delay. Some people say, well, I give zakat over the whole year. No, that would only be good if you give it in advance. In the Hanafi school, you can give zakat in advance of it becoming due. But spreading it out over the whole year such that you're delaying it is disliked. Say, well, liquidity, this and that. Or you can go on vacation, you can upgrade your car, your fridge, and your laptop, and your smartphone, but you can't give, assist the poor. That is worldliness. And avoid it. Um, then addressing people who are agrarian, and who says, and don't eat of, the f- of your fruit or your crops until yeah, that has reached the zakatable minimum, until you have defined how much zakat is due on it, because the zakat is due on crops, 5% or 10% depending on the circumstance, as detailed in, in, in fiqh. So don't take any benefit from it yourself until you've calculated the zakat that is due on it first. Right? And, and then he says that and know well that anyone who uses legal tricks to avoid zakat by gifting away their wealth, for example, or, right? So he said, well, you know, um, you know, there's a wealthy woman married to a poor man. He says, look, I'm going to, I gift you all my wealth. Right? And she hands it over to him. So when zakat becomes due, she says, well, I don't own anything. It all now belongs to my husband. The husband then gives it back to her. So what are you doing? You're using a legal trick. In other words, there's conditions for that to even to be valid. Who are you cheating? Right? The poor have rights over your wealth. Right? So you, you've wronged the poor by doing that. But number two, you have... Have you wronged Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? No, you've wronged yourself. You've, deri- you've not behaved as a servant of God. And number two, you've deprived yourself of the reward and blessings and benefits of the zakat. Or who gives it to someone who is not deserving of the zakat, who's not eligible for the zakat. And you know that they're not zakat eligible. Um, or who just gives it out whimsically. 
without meaning without verification is this a sound way of giving zakat or not right um, such as such as one example being to give zakat to those to people from whom you will benefit from yourself right so for example Sidi Hamza is a wealthy man so he tells um, Anas that look I'll give you my zakat but then he says, okay, well, can you give me a ride? Can you do me a favor? Can you pick me up some shawarma? Right? Can you do my laundry? Right? This is blameworthy. Right? Um, such a person will not leave this world until Allah has punished them in this world before the next. Right? And then he says, وَلَعَذَابُ الْآخِرَةِ أَكْبَرُ and the punishment of the next life is more intense. If only they knew. لَوْ كَانُوا يَعْلَمُونَ If only they knew. From Surah Az-Zumar, verse 26. Right? So, this is, so, he's saying that we know clearly from the Qur'an and Sunnah, someone who, prev- who uses tricks to avoid zakat. Legal tricks. These are sound legal tricks. Or who gives zakat validly, but then derives benefit from the zakat that they give, expecting favors and so on. Some people, sometimes donors do that with Islamic organizations, in other than zakat. Right? They make a donation, but then they expect that they can use the Islamic center or the masjid for their private functions, etc. You can't do that. You have to be very careful. The early Muslims were so careful that if they borrowed money from someone, they would avoid walking under the shadow of their houses when they're walking down the street. Lest, if they lent money to someone so that their loan would not be deriving any, even indirect benefit. They'd avoid eating at the person's house. Because you, you lend someone money, you're not supposed to derive any benefit from that. Um, so I said, if this is the state of someone who gives it in an... Um, in an imp gives their zakat properly, but in, in an soundly, but in an improper way, then consider the state of those who don't give their zakat at all. Right? And then he quotes the verse from Surah Al Baqarah, verse, six, uh, verse 16. They're the ones who've purchased, who have sold, who have purchased misguidance. In exchange for guidance. Right? You were gifted guidance. What are you supposed to do with guidance? Right? You're supposed to make a payment of that guidance, which is acting upon it. And what, what are you granted? Jannah. And we have the wealth of guidance. Acting upon it is making the payment that is due on the guidance. And what do you pay? What are you paying for? You're paying for paradise. So the payment, which is our prayer, our charity, our hajj, our dutifulness to our parents, our taking care of our family, all, all these things, this is a payment of gratitude for what we've been blessed with. But what, what, we, what are we paying for? We're paying for paradise. Allah has made it incumbent upon you that you 
that, that his obedience exists in your life. And in reality, he has only made Jannah obligatory for you. But instead, people who refuse, they, they, they purchase misguidance in exchange for guidance. فَمَا رَبِحَتْ تِجَارَتُهُمْ So their transaction bears no profit. And وَمَا كَانُوا مُهْتَدِينَ And they're totally errant in that choice. Right? And this is loss. Failing to pay your zakat, for example, is true loss. True loss in what sense? Don't look at this world alone. Do you not believe in the hereafter? Do you not believe that you have a merciful Lord whose reward is waiting? Right? And he said it's well established that the one who prevents to pay their zakat is is akin to the one who leaves prayer in, in evil. Right? Leaving prayer is a grave evil. Why? Because it has grave personal detriment. Because this is the first expression of the covenant between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? The Prophet said, The covenant between us and them is the prayer. فَمَنْ تَرَكَهَا فَقَدْ كَفَرَ The one who leaves the prayer has committed an act of disbelief. Doesn't mean that they're a disbeliever. But they've committed an act only befitting a disbeliever. Because if you're a believer, you say, I believe in Allah as my Lord. Your Lord said, pray. He said, no, I won't. <laughs> no. You know, that's unbecoming the believer. Zakat is akin to the prayer in its gravity, which is why Sayyidina Abu Bakr al-Siddiq fought those who refused to pay zakat. Right? And he deemed them apostates or akin to apostates. And of course, there's a grave societal harm in it as well, which is foregoing the rights of the poor. But also it has a grave personal harm, not only in the loss of reward and the falling in sin, but zakat purifies, is the beginning of purifying ourselves of the worldly tendencies of being excessively attached to our wealth. Right? And when non-payment of zakat, one, some people don't pay zakat, other people won't pay zakat. And there's a societal dimension at many levels to the non-payment of zakat. And then he says, and it is incumbent upon you likewise to give zakat al-fitr. Right? The zakat that is due after Ramadan. Right? Um, for everyone who lives in your household, including children, spouse, if parents live with you, etc. So the head of the household should do it. All adult members of the household can pay it themselves as well. Um, and this is if you're able to. Right? This is if you're able to. And it's best to pay it sufficiently in advance of Eid, that the money gets to the poor so that they're able to also celebrate in the Eid. So this is very important when you're giving your zakat al-fitr to a charity. 
Firstly, make sure that do they have policies to ensure that they disperse their zakat al-fitr early, such that it gets to those deserving before the Eid prayer. So make sure they have good policies, because they're agents on your behalf. If you can, then give it directly to someone who is needy. Give it directly to someone who is needy. Yourself. Um, but at the very least, make sure. So in the one way of the ways, make sure is to check with the charity. Do they have what are their zakat al-fitr disbursement policies? And number two, that how soon do you have to give it to make sure it gets to the poor, right? Um, and then he says, and it, it's incumbent upon you or you who seek assistance on the path of seeking Allah's closeness to give. To give a lot of charity. In general, and particularly of course in, a, in blessed months like Ramadan and in blessed times. Um, and the Prophet promised that no person's wealth diminishes through charity. And, that's, and he said, وسلم, in another hadith, As-sadaqatu burhan. Charity is a proof. It's, it's a, charity actually serves as a proof for the one who reflects on the existence of God. But it's an indicative proof, it's not a decisive proof in that there's a divine promise that Allah will grant both increase and multiplication of blessing in the wealth of the one who gives charity. After, of course, built upon giving their zakat. Right? Um, so first thing to do is to take care of your zakat properly, sincerely, in good spirit, giving it early to the right people. Then after that to give, that's number one. Num- number two, then give plentifully after the zakat in charity. And the Prophet ﷺ said, As-sadaqatu. Burhan, right? charity is proof, proof of your being true, proof of your sincerely caring for the good of others. Say, I, I worry about injustice in the world and poverty and this, that. Okay, how much charity do you give? <laughs> Nothing. Right? And this applies both to the rich and the poor, the rich or, and the less rich. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Let those who have ex- much wealth let those who have expansive wealth give from their expansive wealth. And whoever has limited provision, what should they do? Should they hold on to it? Well, I only have a little bit. Let them give of what Allah has given them. It's not yours in the first place, right? So that is, um, but what is the adab of giving? How does one give? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, describing the righteous believers, those who when they spend, right, um, are neither stingy nor excessive. But rather, they follow an upright way between these two extremes. They're not stingy in giving, 
such that they could easily have given more without detriment. Nor are they excessive. And excessive is such that it harms your ability to fulfill your immediate duties. Right? You give so much in charity, you can't pay your rent. You can't provide for your own family. You're not able to take care of the expenses that you have to take care of. That is being excessive. Right? And part of it is to curtail our discretionary spending and to prefer the eternal reward over the fleeting pleasures of you know, of whimsical spending. Right? That's one of the ways to begin, the ulama tell us. Right? Um, another way that one is able, so one is to curtail some whimsical spending. So, you know, Sidi Hamza already has three thobes, four thobes that are nice and elegant in which he can go to the masjid and his classes. Finds a really nice thobe. He was willing to spend $120 on this fancy thobe. He gives that in charity instead. Why? Because what's the is there a clear benefit in this spending? No. But there's clear benefit in the charity. So one considers things by their consequences. That's one aspect, right? To because uh, what the things we want in life are at three levels. The ulama tell us they are daruriyat. There, there's absolute necessities. That which you cannot live without, right? That which is required for the preservation of life and limb. So you need basic housing. You need food to eat. Right? There's other, you know, the apps, the necessities. And those, it's unconscionable to do without for oneself and one's family. Then there are needs. They're hajat. Hajat. And you have a right to seek your needs. Right? And you could live under the bridge, but, ha- you know, you could live... In a tent, but having a home, right, where you're protected from the cold, etc. That's fulfillment of a need. You know, you you want to have a car that's not always breaking down. That's you know, there's things that are needs. That which preserves recognized, you know, clear recognized benefits and prevents clear recognized harms that are not that not it's not going to kill you, but it's going to be. Anyone would say that this is to your dis- clear disadvantage. And then there are tahsinat. There are literally adornments. And there are wishes. I'd like a new laptop. Do you need a new laptop? Like, is your new laptop at the level of need that you're not able to get, fulfill your interests? Is it such that the screen keeps shutting down and so you know it delays your work, etc.? No. Or there's one place where if you touch the, the laptop, you get a little electric shock. That's a harm, right? Now you could get that fixed, etc. But the, you have to be able to distinguish between needs and wants. And the person who's seeking the akhirah reduces their wants. And once in a while, you have to have diplomacy with yourself. You give. One of the ways of diplomacy with the self, sometimes you have to give your nafs things it wants in exchange for what you need to draw closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's okay. You are feeling lazy to say, okay, if I, I'll have kulfi, 
after Taraweeh. So you strike a deal. The kulfi is not a need. It's a wish. Right? So sometimes you need to use your wishes as diplomacy. If I get this done, I'll, I'll get some good beans of coffee. Right? But you do that after you let it pay up, let the nafs pay up in advance, and then you give its payment after the fact. So to make sure it delivers. And don't trust the nafs. Because if you give it the coffee now, I'll, I'll pray so, tomorrow. <laughs> right? So no, you have to treat, treat the nafs as a, as a questionable contractor. Right? Um, so you need to reduce your wants, number one. Another of the things that the, Allah subhanahu wa tells us in the Qur'an, He'll tell us next, which is, sometimes when you want something for yourself, get it for someone else instead. And He'll tell us about that in a moment. You like that thobe? So say, you know what? Anas will look nice in that. He'll probably like it. So you get it for him instead. So you have the reward of giving a gift to a friend, etc. And that also disciplines the self. Or get similar things like that for a family member or someone in poor, you know, who is poor or needy. Then he says, and, and also strive to give in charity to your relatives who are in need. Right? And they have more rights over you than you over um, over you than strangers do. Right? So you have relatives in need. Most important are immediate family members, but also relatives. Cousins, nephews, uncles, aunts, right? the immediate circle, especially. And number two, the people of virtue, Ahlul Khair, who don't have much, scholars, people serving the community. They may not ask, but many of them, especially now with our, you know, the, we're st we still haven't established strong Muslim institutions who don't have much wealth, who don't have wealth. They're tight. You know, they don't have, so, you know, to, and the, one of the ways, you don't go ask the person, say, Sheikh Hamza, you know, Sheikh Hamza Khan, are you needy? I was going to say, yeah, I was just waiting for you to ask. Let me tell you all about it. Some, come have coffee. They're not going to do that. So the thing to do is to ask indirectly. Ask someone who knows them well. That, you know, I know so-and-so, the imam of the masjid. They say, you don't have to ask before giving assistance to the imam of a masjid or a Quran teacher. Right? One of the scholars in Damascus said, Ta'am ulama khubzun wa ma. The food of scholars is bread and water. Right? But they're very often hard up. So those are things that one seeks out. Right? One seeks out. Right? Because charity, you know, and assistance to them, um, increases in consequence. And its reward is greater because... By placing it here, when you, when you assist your family members, you have the reward of charity and the reward of silatir rahim, maintaining family ties. Right? And they have rights over you. When you assist the people of knowledge, the people of virtue, the people of service. Right? There's someone in, in your community who's a youth counselor. 
right, who's established a, you know, so many of the people serving our community, right? Um, you assist them, you have the reward of giving charity, and you have the reward of assisting them in the good that they, they do. So you have double reward, right? And, and he says, and also from the adab of charity, says, and it is incumbent on you to give in charity with the things that you love and that are precious to you, in order that you may attain righteousness, bir. Bir is righteousness or virtue, right? For Allah Most High says, Because Allah SWT tells us, in Surah Ali Imran, verse 92, you will not attain unto virtue, the station of virtue, righteousness, until you give of what you love. Right? And you don't have, and Allah SWT says, حَتَّى تُنْفِقُوا مِنْ مِمَّا تُحِبُونَ مِنْ مَا Like, until you give something of what you love. So practically, and this min is of tab'id, it's partitive. A little bit of what you love. So, and this is a good thing to practice. So one of the ways to do that is sometimes when you get something you like, get it for someone else as well. And that's a good test of is it generally a need or if it's just a wish. So you found out about a really nice kind of coffee maker. So you said, I'm going to make coffee at home. So well, let me get one for myself and one for so-and-so. I said, no, no, that's wastefulness. No, because if you genuinely needed it, like, okay, you want to make coffee at home, it's actually cheaper to make good coffee at home than to buy bad coffee outside. Right? But you want to buy a fourth kind of coffee maker. So it's wasteful. One of the ways to test that is get it for another person as well. Sometimes don't get it for yourself and get it for another person instead. But it's a good habit that the righteous have if you, for example, and anytime you're making big purchases, you go shopping, you did your weekly shopping, get something that you give to someone else. Right? Your mother likes a particular type of cake, get something for her, get something for the neighbors. And this is a sunnah of the Prophet. If one you know, brings in something pleasing to one's own home, one should share something of it with one's neighbors. So if you bring fruits in, you should give some of them to the neighbors, for example. Prophet also said about cooking oneself, if one makes a dish, make some extra sauce and give some to the neighbors. And they say things like that one should do, even if people are not accustomed to it, because the blessing of the sunnah will reach them, even if it's unusual for them that why are you sending us food? Because you're rewarded for ittiba' sunnah there. And people do appreciate it. They'll grow to appreciate it. Um, so this is a very powerful way of change and also of, of giving. And that can be to the poor and needy, and which is charity, or also gifts. You know, giving of what you want, of what you like to another, whether it be through charity or through gifts, because gifts have great virtue as well, because they strengthen ties, whether it be a family of, or of brotherhood or sisterhood. Um, they can express gratitude. There's many good meanings in it.
And also it is incumbent upon you to prefer others to yourself, even when there's need. Right? So that you can be of those who attain felicity. One of the descriptions of the Ansar, the people of Medina, who they're described, radiallahu ta'ala anhum, when they accepted the, you know, the, the muhajireen, the migrant companions from Mecca, وَيُؤْثِرُونَ عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ And they prefer others to themselves. وَلَوْ كَانَ بِهِمْ خَصَاصًا Even if they are in real need. Right? Even if they are in real need. So they can be of the people of felicity. That's one of the signs of the people of felicity as those verses make clear. So, and that you can't do all the time, but practice it once in a while. That sometimes... When you get something, get it for yourself, get it for an another. Sometimes, get it for someone else instead of for yourself. And then they say, when you give it, don't gloat, but be grateful to Allah. You wanted to get that really nice, you always wanted to get one of those hooded Moroccan thobes. You don't have one. But then, you said, you know, do I really need it? I don't, but let me get it for that friend of mine. He's going through a tough time. He said, I'll get it in his size, etc. Make it a, a gift. Why? Lillahi ta'ala. That when you see the person wearing it, what should you do? Say, yeah, that was such a smart move. No, you're supposed to have gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Gratitude. Whoever finds the good, let them praise Allah. And never remind someone of, of their blessings. Right? And then he says, and it, and it is incumbent upon you to give charity privately. Right? Because, as has come in hadith, because charity given privately extinguishes the wrath of God, the wrath of your Lord. Right? Unless there's a public interest in giving it publicly. There's a public cause, for example, and you want to encourage your friends. So there you... You have to be careful about your intention. You make it purely for the sake of Allah. Allah, I'm giving this for your sake and I'm going to announce it for your sake. And I seek your refuge from having ulterior motives. And you tell your friends, okay, I have just given $25,000 in support of uh, Masjid Vaughan. And I encourage you to give generously as well. It's a very worthy project. Right? And there, there's a reason to mention it publicly, which is to encourage others to the good. But in that, you check your intention. And he says, and, but in the normal case, charity given privately has 70 times the reward of charity given publicly. Right? Um, and it, it is safer from the manifestations of showing off that ruins actions. Because right? charity is not just helping a poor person. Charity is, a, is an act of worship by which you seek to draw closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he says, do not leave giving something in charity every day. Even if it's a little. Right? And try to do it in the beginning of the day. Right? says because tribulations can't go past charity because tribulations 
can't go past charity. So you have to remain under the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Try to begin your day with some charity. And of course, charity is not only material. The Prophet said, smiling at the face of your brother is charity. A good word is charity. Assisting another is charity. Right? And the ways of charity are many. But the material charity is an important aspect of that. It says, never let down someone who asks. When they come to your door. Right? Even if you give them a date or less than a date. Right? Right? Because the, the one who comes asking is a gift from Allah to you. And this, when someone comes to your door or someone comes to your social media stream, right? Someone, some charity shows up on your Facebook stream or your Twitter or on Instagram or whatever, then don't, don't that's a gift. Don't complain. Why are so many Muslim charities asking? These are gifts from Allah to you. These are opportunities to give. So except for someone who is clearly unworthy or whatever, which is the rare case, people trying to do good, right? They're gifts from Allah to you. If you don't find what to give, right? Then refuse in a good way, by, with gentle words and a beautiful promise. Right? Like for example, someone reaches out to you and this is an adab that's neglected, right? People. Like people say, I feel so overwhelmed by so many people coming and asking. Right? One of the neglected adab of giving, someone comes and they're, they're asking, they're, you can't help them right now, they want to build a masjid. Bring happiness to their heart. Right? Say, make a dua for them, that may Allah bless you and open doors of good for you and grant you success in your project. And make a resolve, you can't give now, intend to give later. Right? And give a good promise. Right? Give a good promise. Don't spam them. Right? Right? And one of the, and of course, if you make a promise, use a calendar. Put put an appointment for yourself. Three months from now, I'll make a I'll make a donation. Um, the Prophet ﷺ did not used to say no to people. He would either fulfill their request if he could. Or he would point others to that person, right? Point others to that person. Or point the person asking to people who could help them. Or give facilitating words, meaning he'd give them encouragement or positive uplifting advice, not judgmental advice, right? And, we sh and people who are trying to do the good, you know, or who are in need, you're supposed to have a good opinion of both. And you exercise caution, but with respect. We respect the poor. Right? Because they're the people of the Prophet And the Prophet commanded. Right? Um, Right? Remain patient, O Prophet, with those who call upon their Lord by night and by 
by, by day and by night, seeking his countenance alone. This, apply, this came directly about the Ahl al-Suffa. What was their characteristic? They were people of devotion. So maybe some of those devoted who are in need. They're people who are dedicated to knowledge. They're people of khidmah. They're helping others in the Muslim community. Right? So whether they are the righteous, the people of knowledge, or the people of service. Right? We should be in the circle of those who are either engaged in devotion, knowledge, or service, in any of the ways of good, should either be of those people or assist those people. Wasbir nafsaka. Be patient with them. It's a little more costly to be supporting the causes of good. Those who are spreading devotion in our community, the masajid and these projects, those who are spreading Islamic education, those who are serving the community, these three areas, remain patient with them. How? Yeah, they'll keep coming to ask, etc. They'll send you donation reminders, etc. Be patient with them. Don't turn your gaze away from them, from the people who are seeking the pleasure of Allah. How is the pleasure of Allah sought? Through devotion, through knowledge, through service. Don't turn your gaze away from dunya, Seeking the adornment of this life. Because if you didn't spend your money on charity and supporting the good, what are you going to spend it on? Buying... Okay, you already have a whole bunch of shoes. I don't know why I get shoe advertising on Instagram. Okay, you get okay. You can make your custom-made shoe, and you'll just seek adornment of this life. You don't give in zakat. You'll buy fancy, you know, your 79th to 87th fancy hijab. Right, right. So this is this is very important that if if you're not able to give. Then, then refuse with gentle words and a beautiful promise, right? And he says, and if you give someone who is in need, right? Um, then demonstrate happiness to them and cheerfulness, right? And feel within that that person has done you a favor, not that you're doing them a favor. Why? Because they honored you. The poor person honored you by accepting your charity, which you were in need of giving, because the poor and needy have a right over your wealth. You are in need of purifying that wealth. You are in need for expiating your sins. You are in need of doing some good in your life to make up for all the sin and wrongdoing and shortcomings and failings and heedlessness that you have in your life. You're in desperate need for the mercy of Allah. So someone's helped you to do something to attain divine mercy. So you should have gratitude for the person who's, who accepts that. right? Because this person accepted something paltry of this worldly life by which you will attain eternal reward. They assisted you eternally. You just helped them fleetingly in this life. Right? And the reward you get for that charity had you given everything in this world for the reward of a little charity in the hereafter you would be the one profiting not the not the person in need so never imagine that you're helping the one who's asking right and it has come in tradition that 
one single bite, says Imam al-Haddad rahimahullah ta'ala, one single morsel that you give to someone hungry, for example, its reward with Allah is greater than Mount Uhud. Right? Which is one of the blessed place where the battle of Uhud took place. Right? And then he says, so this is very important, that when you give, there's adab of giving. And of the important adab is to behold the favor upon Allah to you, that, that this is something that Allah has facilitated for you, to have gratitude to Allah and to have gratitude to the, the person, you see the person you're assisting, whether a poor person or, or a cause or an organization, you see that they have facilitated for you to do good. They're doing, it's as, they're a means for you being able to attain a ter- eternal reward. So don't be, I'm, I'm giving. So now as a donor, I have, you know, like I can push you around and this and that. No. Right? And our deen has deep processes of accountability, right? Called hisba. It's a whole science in fiqh, al hisba and al ihtisab, and great works have been written on it. And these are practiced by Muslim organizations that are grounded in knowledge. But we have to avoid this this culture of. Um, of being critical, negative, and hostile towards others who are trying to do the good. The tear, tear it down culture, what Dr. Sherman Jackson, Dr. Abdul Hakim Jackson refers to as uh, the, what's it called? He calls it the gotcha Islam. Okay? I gotcha. Right? Like you're on the hunt to see, okay, oh, there, you made a mistake. Or I think they're doing something wrong. There's all these conspiracy theorists, right? Don't be of those people. Okay? Those are that's vile, right? Um, and he says, and never be prevented from giving in charity by the fear of poverty, because leaving charity, says Imam al-Haddad, uh, leaving charity is what brings poverty. Leaving charity is what brings poverty. Why? Because Allah has commanded, let those who have expansive wealth give from that expansiveness. وَمَنْ قُدِرَ عَلَيْهِ رِزْقُهُ And whoever has limited provision, فَلْيُنْفِقْ Let them give مِمَّا آتَاهُ اللَّهُ From what Allah has given them. And if you give, the, give of the little, that is your expression of gratitude for that, and Allah has promised, لَإِن شَكَرْتُمْ لَأَزِيدَنَّكُمْ If you are grateful, we will grant you increase. If you don't, then even what you have will dwindle either materially or in barakah, barakationally. As for giving in charity, says Imam al-Haddad, it is what brings forth wealth and expansiveness. Ghina. It was what brings freedom of need and expansiveness. The ulama said one of the things that giving in charity does, it gives freedom of need because you become freed of your whimsical tendencies. Because Because the only wealth is wealth of spirit. So when you give, when you prioritize helping others, because we said 
There's necessities, they're not, they don't enter into giving. Right? And your genuine needs, prioritize foregoing wishes for charity. Wishes. You want to get another fancy whatever, give in charity instead. Give in charity instead. Um, and that frees you from the poverty that is ittiba' al-hawa, following your whim and chasing after the merely worldly. The things that you don't need. There's no benefit in it, no prevention of harm. Okay? So we're not talking about it's winter, you don't have a coat, so I'm not going to buy a coat. No, you need to get a coat. Get it. Get something comfortable, pleasing, that you can be grateful for. And then he says, he said, it is so much so that if someone from whom, you know, worldly things are turning away from him, right? So someone, for example, worldly things are turning away from them, they've lost their job. Right? So their source of income is gone. Right? Their bank balance is diminishing. They're dipping into their savings now. They're worried. It says, if someone from whom their worldly means are turning it away from them, if they began giving in charity, if they began giving in charity, then what was turning away from them would, would turn towards them fully and manyfold more. So we've seen that the ulama, if someone says, I lost my job, I used to give in charity, what do I do? They would say, well, keep giving what you used to give and give a little more, intending that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by your assisting others, that He assists you. Wallahu fi al abdi al abdu fi Allah is in the aid of His servant, as long as His servant is in the aid of others. Right? And this applies at the individual level and applies at the collective level. Many of you listening may be involved in a particular project that you support or you are a part of. The ulama say, if you want your project to be blessed, always strive as much as you can to always encourage that people support other similar projects. And yourself, assist other projects too. It is closer to sincerity closer to sincere concern and closer to attaining blessings for yourself. We are not, you know, the, the more self-concerned you, you are, the more diminished you are as a dignified human being who is honored by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he says, know well, says Imam al-Haddad, the charity has great benefits. Immediate meaning in this life and long-term in the hereafter. From its benefits that are immediate is that charity increases in both provision and in one's life, either in its length or in its blessedness. Because Ibn Atayullah says, how many a long life has little facilitation in it? Someone lived a long life, what did they do? Not much. And how many a short life had great facilitation? 
One of the great imams of the Indian subcontinent, and some the, some of the Indians call him Fakhrul Hind, the pride of India. Um, imam Abdul Hayy, Imam Abdul Hayy al Laknawi, rahimahullah taala, who died in the year 1306, age 39, in 39 years, living all his life in India except twice when he went on Hajj. He lived for the age of 39, he authored 126 books. Right, Imam Nawawi lived only to his mid-40s and left us this great legacy that he left us. Right? So one of the great benefits of charity, and it's not an accident. Of course, Imam Nawawi had numerous reasons for which Allah SWT granted him the openings. One of the secrets of Imam Nawawi is that every day, and some days he had 18 lessons in a day when he was studying and when he was teaching. 18 classes. That when he headed out to study with his teachers, he would give in charity on, on his way with many intentions. And and of the immediate benefits of charity is that charity protects one from having a bad ending to one's life. And charity is a means of good health. Charity is a means of good health. And it has come that, you know, the, from the Prophet ﷺ, that treat your sick through charity. Because Allah is in the aid of a servant as long as his servant is in the aid of others. Right? Whether the poor person themselves gives in charity or someone gives on charity on their behalf. It counts like a dua. But it's not just a dua with words, it's a dua with action and benefiting someone. It's a more blessed dua. And it gives barakah in one's wealth. The subtle, what is barakah? It says, Sirrul izdiyadil ma'nawi wal hissi fil ashya. Is the subtle meaning of increase both in meaning and in form in things and from the benefit from the long-term benefits of charity is that it extinguishes it extinguishes the errors that one falls into in life just as water extinguishes fire And then from the benefits of charity, says Imam al-Haddad, is that charity is a shade. Every act of charity is a shade upon its giver on the day of resurrection. When there's no shade, but the shade from God, mighty and majestic. And, it'll be, and each act of charity is a shield between the person and punishment. And there are numerous other benefits, he says. And, but no one takes heed except one who returns penitently to Allah. Right? From Surah Ghafir, verse number 13. So this is a little of what Imam Al-Haddad mentions about um, charity and we, 
we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He make us of the people of giving and who give with the spirit of open-handedness without excess, who forego our mere wishes for the needs of others. Right? That is that is the bat where's the battleground of giving? The battleground of giving. And what is the front lines of the battleground of giving? It is that you need to learn how to forego your wishes out of concern for the needs of others. To prefer the needs of others over your mere wishes. Number one. Number two, to forego your merely worldly wishes by rec recognizing the greatness of the eternal reward of giving. You forgo the merely trivial spending of this life and it adds up to favor the good pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So charity requires reflection. It requires reflection. It requires boldness. It requires courage. And you had money set aside. Well, this is 5,000. I, I, I need to take a break. I want to take, take a vacation. You got $10,000 set aside to go on a fancy vacation and this and that. $5,000 set aside. Okay, I'm going to give this $5,000 to that educational project, to that charity, to, to, or to that person in need that I know. It'll make a huge difference in their life. And you see that effect of your giving bear fruit. And you have gratitude for it. But to know that all the, all the benefit, whether of the individual that you assisted, or the project that you assisted, all of it, its reward returns back to you. Right? And you have gratitude for that from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to grant us insight and to, and to grant us the giving, something of the giving of the Messenger وسلم, who's described that he, he gives with the giving of one who fears no poverty. Sayyidina Abdullah bin Rawaha describes the hand of the Prophet وسلم, saying, لَهُ رَاحَةٌ لَوْ أَنَّ مِعْشَارَ جُودِهَا عَلَى الْبَرِّ لَكَانَ الْبَرُّ أَنْدَى مِنَ الْبَحْرِ he has a hand so generous that if one small tenth of its generosity dripped onto dry land, the dry land would be wetter than the oceans. It's a Sahabi who described that. Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali describes the lines of poetry of one of the poets who served the ruler of Aleppo. And he wanted some money. So he said these lines of poetry that... He is so generous that if nothing remained in his hands except for his own soul and someone asked him for it, he would have given it unhesitatingly. So let those who ask be wary. So Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali said that such poetry befits no created thing. Befits no one in creation except the Messenger of Allah That if there is nothing left in his hand to give, except of his own soul, and someone came to ask, he would give it unhesitatingly. Sallallahu alayhi 
وآله وصحبه وسلم والحمد لله رب العالمين وبارك الله تعالى فيكم Thank you for listening. This lesson was brought to you by Seekers Guidance, the world's first truly global Islamic seminary. Visit seekersguidance.org to access reliable Islamic knowledge taught by qualified teachers. We offer a wide range of courses, podcasts, articles, and a world-class answer service, all completely free of charge. This is made possible solely by supporters like you. Be a partner in this blessed work by making a small donation at seekersguidance.org. Even $10 a month can go a long way. Our beloved Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, said, Whoever guides someone to goodness will have a similar reward. So don't forget to share this lesson and join us in spreading prophetic guidance.